Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. Well, obviously, uh, it was um, it was kind of you know being on top of the sky and falling into a ditch. You know, you know, won the World Cup after 28 years, being the man of the tournament. I was probably uh, the peak of my career, and then falling like that. But it's a big, that's a big cliff. Yeah, because that's as high as a yeah. high as a mount as you can actually get. Yeah, man of the tournament, winning an IPL, uh, sorry, winning a World Cup at home, which hadn't been done. Yes. Absolutely. And in front of a billion, over a billion people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it was it was like a dream come true, and then it was just like you know, I have to you know battle now to save my life. Today's a really special day for me on lessons learnt with the greats. On this episode, I have the absolute privilege of talking to and gaining incredible insights into someone who's lived a very similar path in many ways as I have. It's going to be very cool um, for me from a selfish point of view um, to get a different perspective on cricket and life that at times we've shared quite a few different experiences on the same field. Yuvraj Singh, it truly is an honour to have you on my show. Thank you. Honour is all mine. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, just going to go into a few of your statistics. Yeah. <laughs> which are, which we all love statistics, do <laughs> <Not> we? <laughs> okay, so uh, you've you played forty test matches, yeah, three hundred and four one day internationals, mm-hmm. with an average of thirty six point five five at a strike rate of eighty seven, which not is incredible. Bad. Not bad. It's better than not bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, with fourteen hundreds, uh, he also played fifty eight T twenty internationals at an average of twenty eight, with a strike rate one hundred and thirty six. That's better than not bad. Really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and I'm going to indulge a little bit here as well. So, um, with a few of my highlights of of your career. And the first one is the first time I ever played against you. Yeah. was in the under-19 World Cup in Sri Lanka, yeah. 2000. And it was in the semi-final mm-hmm. of, the, of the World Cup. And you got 50 off about 20 balls. Yeah. And... I'd never seen anyone of my age or around that hit the ball like you did. That was just, that was next level. I remember there's one ball in particular, I remember like it was yesterday, you hit it on the roof of, as a sort of over mid, over mid wicket. I was like, this guy, this is like next level. This doesn't happen. <laughs> this doesn't happen. Um, and then I, then I remember not too long after that, you made your Indian, Indian debut in the Champions Trophy in Kenya. Yes. I remember you getting, you got 70 odd against, I, don't, I can't remember exactly who it was. You got 84 <laughs> against yeah. Australia. And that's it. Okay. Yeah. And I remember that was, the fir- that was the first time I was like, for a guy that I played against, yeah. 
is playing for his country and doing really well. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe there's some hope for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was the first highlight where it just stood out for me. This guy is next level. Um, the next one, obviously, is what everyone knows so well is the, the first T20 World Cup in South Africa and the ability to be able to think that you can actually hit six sixes off a bowler, let alone a world-class bowler like Stuart Broad. It's crazy that that is actually able to happen and someone actually did that and that's what you did. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and the other one that really stands out is the 2011 World Cup. Yeah. For obviously you guys as India, but but you personally, that was yeah. next level with the way you played from a batting point of view and also from a bowling point of view, like yeah. key wickets. Yeah. I remember the, the quarterfinal against us in um, Amdabad. In Amdabad. Yeah. Some crucial wickets, but then the way you batted to be able to, you know, you got 70, 70 night hours, something like that. Yeah, 57 night hours. Yeah. yeah. To be able to steer your team home in a knockout game, the way you control that game. So those are some of my career highlights for you that really stand out. Is there one or two in particular outside of those that really stand out for you? Um, I think uh, these are definitely the key moments. But as as a young kid, I was always waiting to play a test match and never get the opportunity. And obviously... Scoring 169 in a test match was a very key moment in my career because I was not getting a spot. So one of that, but mostly key moments in, in one-day cricket and T20, winning the World Cups. Thank you to Australia not uh, letting us win that one, 2011 <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and just uh, definitely, you know, coming back from cancer and everybody <laughs> not believing and thinking that this guy can play again. And then coming and scoring my highest one-day score. I think was uh, something very special for me. Yeah. So I think these moments, as you've just spoken about, are been crucial in my career. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So after indulging ourselves a bit in those great moments, I'm going to um, dig into a, things a little bit deeper. So from a skills point of view and lessons learned from a skills point of view, and I'll talk about batting to start with. Was there one skill aspect from a batting point of view that you realise that once you locked it in, that if I do this every time, whether it's a movement pattern, whether it's my timing, my swing, whether it's my grip or whatever it was for you, that if I did this every time, I'm going to be as close as I can to my best every time I go out. See, I think there, um, there are times in your life when you're batting really well. There are times in your life when you're you know, struggling or you know, not, not sure about your batting. I think uh, those are times where you need to stick to your basic and need to stick to what was the best you were doing in those times. So I just felt that when I, when I was in the attacking or positive mode, my movements would be different. And I felt when I was in the survival mode, my movements would be different. Mm-hmm. And I would go back and see my videos and see my foot movement. So, you know, every time I was attacking, I was moving forward. And every time I was looking to survive, I was going, you know, back or across and just trying to, you know, leave balls and stuff like that. So I think, you know, in survival mode, we also forget that being positive can also, uh, you know, be a kind of a survival where you, you know, especially in test cricket or days cricket where you looking to, you know, be in there, but you still want to be positive. And you can be positive while leaving the ball as well. Mm. 
so i think that was the key uh, moment that was that's the key in my batting that when i was looking to you know look to go forward i would be in great positions yeah so i just thought every time i went back to my videos i stuck to that you know every batsman has a swing or a movement or a back and across movement um i've seen you doing that that you know you do a particular movement before you play a ball so yeah so i had kind of a you know tap in a bat swing to move forward so i think these are the key things that i remember about my batting when i needed to get out of my tough zone yeah yeah and what you mentioned there about the the really important integration of your technical component co- component as you said with like making sure you're moving forward and you've got that um the movement pattern but then also your mindset yeah and the difference yeah. and how important that difference is between the survival mindset which is don't get out yeah. let's just bat for a long period of time exactly. in a test match for example compared to just let's take the game on yeah. and let's see let's see what I can do because then as you said you get into the best positions you possibly can anyway to leave the ball yeah. even though it's still a defensive sort of um, play in your own mind it's actually you've got an aggressive intent absolutely I mean you know explosive players like you uh, or myself you know the way we approach our cricket is to you know you know attack the ball rather than you know surviving it because i felt guys like us had all the shots and every time we were in the zone we would uh, you know be in a place to win the game against the opposition so i mean we are that kind of players and yes every day we not the performance is not going to come but when it comes we make sure we win the game for our country so i think as you rightly said that the the mindset is is a was a huge change uh thinking about being positive rather than you know i never i never thought technique is technique is good to play any sport but i think it's your attitude and mindset to approach um you know a game coming up you know big example for me was steve war yeah uh, steve was i never felt was technically very correct but mm-hmm. he was really gutsy <laughs> and you know he would get hit on his body and he would just be there and i just could feel that this guy another batsman i felt who was really gutsy was michael clark mm. and i've seen that with you know guys like in our team like rahul dravid and tendulkar how you know they approach their game so got to learn got to learn a lot uh, with the attitude of the players rather than techniques so i think uh, for me attitude you know matters more than technique it's a it's amazing what you said there because for so long in my career even up until i finished my test career i was 90% 95% technically driven yeah i was always chasing the technical like perfection just about as much as i could if i got out i'd always look at the technical component instead of what you said there which is the most power is your mind and where your mindset's at exactly because you're right everyone's got your own technique that you've got but if your mindset's right you're accessing all that exactly look at steve smith <laughs> yeah. like if i move like steve smith i won't <laughs> seriously i won't be able to play a ball yeah but when he actually moves his head is really still so i think same thing his attitude mindset you know takes him away from you know i've been watching the ashes series he's been he's been cover driving off the back foot while the ball seeming like i've never yeah. seen any cricketer do that so it's just amazing what a mindset of a person can do uh to his own uh, you know game yeah absolutely okay i'll move on to a spinning 
um, technical point of view because it's something I personally have got no idea, no idea about. And you oh, got me out of a few times as well. Maybe once. No, nah, more than once. <laughs> Just once, bro. <laughs> um, uh, so from a technical spin point of view, was there one thing in particular that you knew if I did this right, I was a, I was a good chance of, of being able to the ball come out how I wanted to? Well... I I wouldn't call myself a proper left-hand spinner. I would call myself a part-time left-hand spinner. <laughs> um, obviously, the the ten years of the cricket that I played and I'm bold, mm. the rules were very different. You know, you had only four fielders inside the circle, so mm. for a part-time, it was easy to get uh, your bad balls away for like singles. So I always considered myself as someone who is a part-timer. I never took my bowling seriously. I thought if I can contribute a few overs for the team, it'll be great. Yeah. But by the time the World Cup came, uh, I felt I was bowling better than I was batting because I was not getting big runs, but I was getting consistent wickets. And I had worked a lot in my bowling, and I had become a bowler where I knew how to get my, you know, six to seven seven overs out when the situation was. You know, games change a lot now. And those were times where you could get those six, seven overs hours between, you know, 20 and 35 overs. So I knew how to, you know, get those overs out. Uh, and uh, I think I was in a very good rhythm of bowling when I played the World Cup. And I actually helped the team, you know, getting those crucial wickets. And um, So at that time, were you focused? Was it, a, was it a mental focus that you just knew that if you're engaged and just backed what your skill was, that you'd be okay? Or was it... Was it as you're running up to bowl? If I if my release point's right, or if it you know is it is it in my in my load up? If I get that right, then I'm a good chance of executing what I want. I was actually working with a couple of ex uh, senior bowlers, uh, okay. and they just told me that it's important that you know your body. Uh, you need to look at the baller. You look need to look at the wicketkeeper rather than the batsman to bowl the ball. Okay. So when I was actually looking to pitch it to the wicketkeeper, I felt my pitching was better. So I think these are the kind of tips that, you know, spinners actually, uh, or spinners actually forget because when once the batsmen start hitting them, start bowling short. Mm. But I, th- I think if the rele- release point becomes the wicketkeeper, then they, p- they will do each- pitch the ball up front. So I think that was a very key point, what I was trying to do that time. And a lot of guys or spinners forget that, you know, once they go under pressure that, you know, what do we do now? So I think end of the day, the basics of cricket actually get you out of trouble. They certainly do. Being able yeah. to re- repeat them when stuff's going a bit crazy. <laughs> Especially these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially in T10. Oh, man. <laughs> Carnage. Thank God I'm not bowling. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, from a body management point of view, what... Um, and we'll talk about the, the illness that you had um, a little bit later on, but just from an injury management point of view, was there things or one thing in particular that you learned about how to manage your body as well as you possibly could to be able to go into the game being in, physically in the condition that you needed to be or that you could be? I think um, uh, when we started playing, um, it was very strange. When, we, when I was in the under-19s and I was in the National Cricket Academy, uh, our, our programs used to come from the Australian Cricket Academy uh, to understand about training. And when I went to the Indian team, we didn't have a trainer. Really? Uh, yeah, in 2000, we didn't okay. have a trainer. We just had one physio who would 
Andrew Lippus would give up the warm-ups. Mm. And uh, for two or three years, we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have a basic uh, training plan. And then this guy, Adrian Liru, South African trainer, came in and, you know, showed us the way of training. And, and obviously, you got evolved now with, with training and with diet. So I just felt, obviously, after when I got sick, uh, my body was completely finished. I really had to make a lot of changes uh, to st- sustain my body to play for a few years after that. But uh, what were those? What were those techniques? Because obviously, coming back from chemotherapy, yeah, yeah your body stuff. is finished. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's taking out all the cells, like healthy and and obviously um, not healthy cells. Yeah, I I think I was for about six months. I was on a particular diet of you know consuming a lot of fats from certain foods to get my you know cells uh, running back again i had lost a lot, lot of on lung capacity okay. so i was i was advised to drink a lot of cranberry juice to you know help the lungs going or pineapple which helps the lungs so particular diets on particular things and um, definitely curbing on lifestyle like you know eating more healthy and great food like in india our foods are uh, very heavy I'm sure you notice yep. with the curries. <laughs> Especially you, northern food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you go to, um, you know, European or Australia or America, uh, Australia and America, uh, cricket playing nations, uh, the lifestyle is, you know, pretty healthy. And we never had that in our country. Or, mm. You know, we had to really work towards it. So I think that was something crucial that I had to move on to uh, a very healthy diet in terms in the last six, seven years of my career. So I had to make that perfect change and we didn't understand what was gluten-free. Today we understand what yeah. gluten-free is. There's nothing around then as yeah, well to exactly. So I think understanding these things uh, helped me prolong my career. Amazing. Okay, we're going to talk about media and the lessons learned from... You tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... From what you know now, would you have approached the media differently throughout your career? Um, I don't think so. They kind of tend to, uh, you know, cheese you off and <laughs> all the time. And when I was younger, obviously, you know, it was hard to take that criticism because every time you would have a bad game, they would criticize you. I remember getting out to McGrath, who was a world-class bowler then. He gets and out. He's got out a few batsmen in his career, <laughs> <laughs> and they, they just write write you that this guy cannot play Magrath. and it was just like, um, you know, stuff like that. And obviously, you would react differently when you were younger because mm. you're, you know, you men are immature at that age, <laughs> and you take it personally. Really yeah, take it personally. Exactly. I'm sure you can relate to it. And then, and then obviously you come back and you perform and you get. You travel, you see the world, you see how cricket is played and how, you know, seniors get criticized and, you know, how they take it take it on the chest and they move forward and you learn these things. So I think uh, learning from my seniors was uh, something that was, it was, it was a blessing because we had like really uh, good seniors who would be great ambassadors of the country and how to, mm. you know, portray themselves in public and how to talk to the media. So I think learned a lot from that, and uh, and after a while the criticism was just like you know something they're just gonna write, and tomorrow there's gonna be a new story, and the next day, 
So he just, I just started getting used to it and just like started focusing on my cricket. I remember, you know, after 2011 World Cup, I actually stopped reading the newspaper. <laughs> In the last eight years, I have never read a newspaper. I have never watched news. I just try and focus on the positive things and try to get out of myself. So I am completely cut out of all these things. Yes, if there's some work to do, obviously happy to do that. But I've just cut out of negative negativity from my system for the last seven years. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. That was my only way of dealing with it. Yeah. Because because what the media writes, it's it's not always the truth of exactly what's going on. It's not who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So and then one, other people are judging it. So people who haven't actually got much of a cricket understanding, then they're believing what's written. Yeah. So but then on the other side, when you're doing really well, yeah. they're building you up like you're Superman. Yeah, exactly. To then know that some stage it's gonna fall down the other side. Mm-hmm. So like it's interesting now for you seeing the young guys who <clears throat> who read social media, read all the comments and everything like that. I just don't know how they do it because then you ride the ups and downs so much more than when you shut out the media it doesn't impact your mindset and where you're at because you know deep down where you're at, what you're working on, um, what you're trying to get better at, where your weaknesses are, and also that cricket's a game that you're not going to perform every time. You, there's so many factors out of your control that even when you're at your ble- best, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to perform or get the results that you're looking for. Exactly. But see, people, <coughs> people don't understand that if when they've not played the game. <laughs> they would want... I mean, they create news because... To create news, to create uh, negative publicity, which people are going to read about it. That's the agenda, which is fine. But I think with social media nowadays, you just, anything you do, like you, if you go out to, say, uh, take a tan, it'll be in the media. Like you do anything, <laughs> it's in the media. But I think the one advantage I see being on social media is that Every time something that somebody says, if you want to put your point across, you have that, you know... Um, you got an instant voice. To say something about <laughs> that this is not correct. Mm-hmm. So I think I would look at that as, a, as something positive. Yeah, for sure. But uh, definitely all these points that you discussed, I faced the same thing in my career as well. Yeah. Yeah. Were there moments that, because of the media scrutiny, that did suffocate your performance? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first game uh, I batted for India. I got 84 against Australia. I don't know how I got there. Because you're seriously I, good? <laughs> and no, you had the I freedom just, like, and you had the freedom just to take it on? I was like, you know, uh, in my room before the game and thinking that how I'm going to play McGrath, Bradley <laughs> and Gillespie in the morning. Like, I've never faced that kind of pace in my life. Obviously, I don't know how I got there. And then I looked myself in the mirror and, and I looked at that guy and I was like, I can't believe that. It's me. <laughs> and the next day I read in the paper that, you know, we have a new Sachin Tendulkar. And I was <laughs> like, what is this? And I remember that thought just carried on for the next seven, ten innings. And I did not get a single 50 in the next seven, ten innings thinking, oh, there it's so much of pressure comparing me to, you know, grades of cricket. And it's it wasn't fair that... Yep. I had carried that burden with me, thinking that comparing me to any player could have been any greats. So why don't they compare themselves to you and what <laughs> what your best is? Exactly, I think uh, <laughs> they like pigeonholing everyone to go. Oh, this is the new person. Yeah. This is this is the new Don Bradmore. This is the next Sachin Tendulkar. What about well, this guy's actually looks like he's going to be really good. Yeah. Let's see how good he can be. 
I think it's <laughs> that's not gonna sell papers, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not gonna sell papers. Yeah, you said that right. Yeah. Um, actually, while, while you're on, while we're on that, in regards to the senior players in your in your team, was it them actually sitting down and talking to you about those experiences and how they deal with it, or was it more so from what you saw them how they dealt with it? Uh, see, initially when I came with our team, there was no IPL, and uh, it was a huge gap from under nineteen to India. Mm. Like nowadays, if you play the IPL, you see players, you can get to talk to them, you see. Uh, you know, international players, you learn from them. So there's so much of um, uh, advantage out there to learn from the greats. But that time, you know, there was just nobody. And suddenly you're like, you know, I've seen these players play on television for so many years. They're my heroes and I'm playing with them. Couldn't really talk much with them because of uh, that fear. Uh, I think uh, once... Um, we got a little friendlier with them. It took a couple of years, and then I think I started to talk with Sachin a lot about my batting, mm-hmm. and uh, just see him how he portrays himself in public, how he talks to the media, and uh, you know, it's it's just it was a great learning. And obviously, I got to an age where I could actually talk to them and be friendly with them because they were my teammates, and I learned a lot from them. Yep. Yeah, amazing. And talking about today's youngsters. Uh, because I see a lot of young guys who are in the team in the same age group and the seniors are not too many and you can see you know, their behavior um, on social media and the way they behave in public. It's completely different for how uh, you know, we, were. we were. We had so much of uh, uh, kind of respect for the seniors and what they talk and how to go about it. It's completely changed now. The next generation. Yeah, it's just something. <laughs> Good it's luck, It's a little mate. bit different. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move into financial lessons learned. And a lot of, and I, I totally get it if you're not comfortable talking no, about I'm it. Because I'm retired, I can say yeah, Because <laughs> a lot of people, majority of people actually don't really like talking about the financial aspect. I'm not talking about how much money you earn. It's not, it's not that at all. Yeah. It's more so about um, financial generation and wealth, wealth generation. So... Have you, were you always pretty um, financial savvy and mm. financial literate to be able to understand, okay, this is, if I put my money into this investment, whether it's managed funds or funds or property or invest in some startup businesses, that's my way that I'm going to be able to make the most of the money that I've got? Mm. Uh, no, actually, I wasn't really smart when I started. And, Me too. Uh, <laughs> No, I think it's it's pretty normal for guys if they're earning money at a young age and they don't know where to put in the money. Uh, I think we are the kind of guys, we give the money back to the family and just, mm. yeah, you, know, you can take care of it. Yeah. And I think after a couple of years when you're in and out of the team, you feel like, you know, I've got to do something about it. So I think didn't make much smart investments at the start. But actually after about nine, ten years, try to understand, you know, how the money rolls and how you can secure yourself. Yeah. So I think made a few wise decisions. Didn't make too many wise decisions, but yeah. um, in what in what way? In the in like financial markets, in financial, property. Yeah, I think everybody. <laughs> there's a trend in India that if you wanna like uh, save your money, like put into property, <laughs> uh, not in biggest investments. Because investments go up and down. Yeah. But 
I think you just need a, a good team, a smart team to advise you where to put your money in. And definitely the property in India at the moment is very down. So you're not getting much return of it. And uh, what Are you talking about the capital um, capital growth or the rental the rental market? Uh, the capital growth. Okay. I think the rental market uh, is a better idea in today's world. So, you know, buying those commercial values. Yeah. So I think these are the kind of things where, you know, you're, you're the team from the bank or your uh, uh, investment advisors uh, would advise you. I, yeah. I would definitely, you know, uh, would like to tell the people out there that as a sportsman, it's very important to have the right team to advise you where to put your wealth in. Absolutely. And the, one of the hardest things is to be able to find the right person who's going to give you the right advice because there's a lot of people around there who say that they'll give you the right advice. Yeah, absolutely. And before you know it, it could go the other way. <laughs> the higher you go up, they, they want to they wanna make sure they can take a piece of you. So that's, uh, yep. uh, that's pretty taken. So you got to be really careful. Yep. The higher you go, the more careful you got to be uh, what kind of people you surround yourself with. Yep, yeah. sure. Okay, so moving on to a business side of things, and obviously with um, the foundation you set up, you you weekend, and this is from a business side of things. How have the what has there been one particular lesson that you've learned from setting that that foundation up? That um, that if you had to set another foundation up, that you would have you would have learned from and go, okay, I'm going to put these things in place because I know that they initially they didn't work. Well, I think uh, the foundation uh, idea is uh, definitely growing in India, but it's very hard to generate funds for the foundation in India because okay. um, when I was getting treated in America, uh, my team went to Lance Armstrong's office okay. and, they saw, and they saw how it's done. Like people would come and donate and their plate would go into Lance's office outside. Okay. And whoever donate higher, his plate would go into his office inside. So, I mean, obviously a different trend. But here, if you want somebody to donate money for a charity, they expect you to take pictures or do an event for them. Okay. Even so, though there's such a strong, is it C, CSR? CSR. Even though there's a really, like, that's, it's a law that you have to give a percentage away of your profits. Yes, it is. But I think every corporate is um, is working toward a separate NGO. So, but I think, uh, okay. I think you need the right people, the right contacts to, to work with. Um, we started in 2013. And um, uh, we didn't do much for the first two, three years. We were generating little funds. Yeah. We were uh, detecting people, but in, a, in our country, people are really poor. So we, can't, we were not able to provide funds for their treatment. So kind of started business around it for fashion, sport, and jewelry. But uh, I think now the foundation is, uh, you know, going up, uh, taking an upward scale where we were able to generate funds working with different NGOs, working with different corporates. And now we have two programs. One is uh, we treat uh, young kids who are below poverty, line, uh, below poverty line for treatment. Okay. And uh, the other program that we have is um, we have scholarships for kids who have come back from cancer, like who parents have lost all their money in their funds. We uh, help them with their uh, scholarships uh, back to education. So I think uh, foundation is is going on the right track. Yeah, and yeah. now that you've got a bit more time um, to be able to spend, has it meant that you've been able to get more momentum with the with the foundation as well? Because obviously, when you're playing, it's 
that's your priority is yeah. you're playing absolutely I mean there's a lot of time to spend now with the foundation you know happy yeah. to spend a lot of time and it it kind of gives kind of satisfaction that you know what I've gone through actually able to give it back to the society mm-hmm. and our country actually needs it because the rich are very rich the poor are really poor so whatever I can do back uh, to give it to my society you know it's uh, it, it, it just adds I mean Money and success are different things. Helping, you know, younger kids is just a completely different satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible, mate. And especially when you're talking about the scholarships for the families who obviously to be able to financially afford the treatment. Yeah. That's gonna that can break it. That can break a family financially. Absolutely, because that's uh, incredible. Cancer treatments are very expensive. So. So it's it's really tough on people who cannot actually afford yeah. it. Yeah. No, good on you, mate. That's amazing. And then, sort of moving on to the life lessons that you've that you've learned throughout um, throughout your life, and it's, and I'm sure. Well, look, I can't uh, imagine what you went through um, after the 2011 World Cup with um, you know realizing that you've got that you've got lung cancer and that you actually you're in the fight for your life. Mm-hmm. Was there one thing in particular that you that like a um, a mantra or something that came into your mind <clears throat> at that time because you were you like you were pushing up against it in a in a big way well obviously um, it was um, it was kind of you know being on top of the sky and falling into a ditch you know you know won the world cup of 28 <laughs> years being the man of the tournament i was probably uh, the peak of my career <laughs> and then falling like that but it's a big that's a big cliff yeah cuz that's as high as a yeah. High as a mountain as you can actually get. Yeah. Man of the tournament, winning an IPL, uh, sorry, winning a World Cup at home, which hadn't been done. Yes. Absolutely. And in front of a billion, over a billion people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it was it was like a dream come true, and then it was just like you know, I have to you know battle now to save my life. Initially, I was not able to come in terms with it because mm-hmm. I was not agreeing with the doctors. I was like. like I'm a healthy athlete, you know, train hard, work hard, eat well, you know, how can I have cancer? Mm-hmm. Took me a while because I was still playing because really? I, yeah, I was under the fear that, you know, I want to play cricket and I yeah. don't want to get die. I I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with me while yeah. I was kind of spitting blood most of the time. Jeez. And uh I just had to come to terms with it and then um you know, I was uh, one day Doctor called me, our family doctor, and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm going to Australia for one day series." <laughs> he said, "No, mate, you cannot go. You have to go for chemotherapy." I said, "Why?" I said, "He said because you got three to six months left. If you don't do it in three to six months, Whoa. you might die." So I'm like, "Okay, I'll go for chemotherapy." Jeez. So yeah, I um, uh, I missed the Australia tour, which I'm not very happy about. <laughs> But uh, but yeah. three to six months if you didn't treat it. Yeah, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> far out. Yeah, but that's I. That's see, as a sportsman, you always that's so is passion. You don't want to leave your passion. But yeah. I didn't have a choice, and then obviously a treatment was hard. I was reading about Lance's uh, journey about how he you know came out of because yeah. he went through four chemotherapy cycles. Was it four? Yes. And, and, and I, how many did you go through? Three. And I can't imagine Jeez. how he did the fourth one, because you're almost dying out there. Mm. And from there, he you know came and won seven Tour de France. I mean, whatever the reasons, 
uh, for me he's still a hero because yeah. um, to just to get out of that adversity and then come back to the top was yeah something really inspiring yes yeah. <clears throat> and obviously i um was very uh, hellbent that if i you know if i survive and be healthy again in my life i want to play cricket again so i think cricket really brought me back everybody said that you know you won't be able to play or it'll take 2 years or 3 years i came back and played for india in 6 months t20 was t20 world cup yeah t20 got me out <laughs> and uh, yeah i wasn't Sorry, the, <laughs> i wasn't the i wasn't the best but uh, it took me some time to get back uh, uh, to be on the field properly yeah because of you were fighting for your life and you got through it did your perspective change significantly in your outlook in life Oh definitely I think uh you know before that it was only cricket you know live sleep eat cricket and just like you know up to get up perform and and then the perspective changed that you know you know it's just let's look at life in a different way uh, spend time with family and friends how important that was cuz I uh I had a 14 cm tumor between my heart and my lung and 14 cm yeah oh and it had uh pretty much crushed my left lung so i was struggling to breathe but breathing was just something which was uh, you know incredible for me breathing with both lungs mm-hmm. and just being able to eat because i was not able to digest food because it used to push on my really uh, how long how long had that been developing for like did you realize it well i'm not going to have to breathe as well as i had in the past and feedings yeah i think about a year i was oh, up right, and okay. down because yeah. it was i think it was <clears throat> growing and um it it was almost a year uh till year and a half probably mm. and actually eventually got out of through chemo yeah. and the doctors couldn't operate on it because uh it was sitting between the heart and lung so they had to do chemo so i think uh, that was the case and uh, yeah just just enjoying those things in life actually just happy to be living again and then the simple things exactly simple things in life if you were break a finger or you get a cold or um anything would happen you just don't bother you like yeah, this is nothing yeah so i think news perspective change yeah yeah that's a thing for people it's hard not you shouldn't need a a time where you're fighting for your life to actually have that perspective yeah absolutely that's no, beautiful all right this is got two more questions one is <laughs> um a little bit retrospective if you Were able to go back to your sixteen-year-old self and give him one piece of advice. What would it be? <laughs> at sixteen. At sixteen. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so you would you're saying that I should give myself advice? Yeah. So with everything you know now yeah. in your life, yeah. You go back. You can go back and give your sixteen-year-old self one piece of advice because of everything that you've been through and all your experience you've had. What would it be? I don't know, man. Probably. be careful when you open your mouth because <laughs> you don't know what you were talking at 16 <laughs> or you know trim your chest or something like that because i had a i had a lot of a lot of have a lot of hair in my body so yeah. i never trimmed it till i was 20 <laughs> so yeah i would probably say that you know be careful when you open your mouth would be the best advice at 16 because yeah. you don't know what you're talking yeah absolutely you feel you do Now I do. <laughs> <You're really laughs> Now you do, but at the time you go, yeah, I know. I got, I got this sorted. I got this oh. sussed. 
I know everything. Right? Yeah. yeah, you know everything at 16. Yeah, and you're still learning at probably 46. Yeah, always learning. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Awesome. And finally, okay. I love reading books and I love learning. Do you, can you give me like your your most favorite book that you've read or top um, three? It's called uh, The Power of Now uh, by okay. Eckhart Tolle. Okay. And uh, I think it's got another part called an, A New World. It'll, uh, you won't. I didn't understand that book at twenty five. Okay. I read that book after five years when I was thirty. Yeah. And I understood, you know, how good the book was. I actually made a significant difference in my life in terms of my thinking should really help me so maybe have Amazing. a shout yeah i'll be reading that for sure awesome <laughs> <clears throat> all right uv this has been amazing to be able to to be able to um, chat you on this chat to you on this episode of lessons learned with the greats these it's... insights mate are, are incredible and to be able to hear the insights that you've had in your career and the life experience that you had even though we've been along a similar sort of track in the different in different countries, from my own point of view, is super cool. So I really appreciate your your opening up and being so honest. And everyone who listens to this is going to be so much richer because of your experiences of being so kind to share. So thank you, mate. Thanks, mate. I want to ask, uh, obviously, say a few things before I wrap this up. One is that <laughs> this is probably my first encounter with you talking and you not having a go at me. Come on, that's not the case. <laughs> Come on, you. <laughs> second, second, I want to ask you. I've been, you know, we've been playing uh, against each other for 20 years. And I always um, uh, seen you as someone who had, like, some serious talent. Do you have any regrets of not playing more test matches? Because I have. The thing, I don't, I don't regret Tetma. The test match. I look back at my test match career, and I know with the skill that I had, yeah. I did not like the results, the outcomes I had was nowhere near as what it should have been. Yeah. And I know, I now know after having educating myself around mental skills side of things, which only actually happened after I stopped playing test cricket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. That I just my, my mental application yeah. during test matches was just. More than anything, I was just mentally fatigued from a batting point of view. I was just so charged up. I wanted to do so well all yeah. the time. In the lead up to the game, I was like, okay, I need to be on. I need to be concentrating. And then when I was at the non-strikers end, opening the batting, I'd be like, okay, today's my day. It has to be my day. And then when I was facing, it's like, today has to be my day. I'd get to 30, 40, 50 with not a lot of the time, not too many troubles. And because I'd burnt my mind out. Yeah. I'd make a mistake and but because of how I was built and then also the coaches around me were like oh you just you, you just were back off the ball a little bit that's why you got it we're getting out LB or you were um, just didn't um, close off your front shoulder which is the reason why you got an out, like, outside edge and I that's how I was built I'd just go okay alright leading the next innings I'm going to work on that I never looked into the, my mindset where was it at at that moment in time where was it out in the lead up to the game in the lead up to me getting out so that's yeah. a reason why I couldn't bat for long periods of time. Whereas in shorter formats, one, there was a there was an, a goal and especially a partnership or if we're chasing, I had my mindset just on what I needed to do, how many runs we needed. So that, and and also then opening the batting was a way where I didn't care about getting out. I was like, oh, well, yeah. if I come in two down, well, I was, if I was batting it or if I was coming four down, we're four for nothing, I'm going to bat a different way. Whereas opening the batting, who cares? I'll get out and they can sort it out. The rest of the guys can sort it out. Good so, 
So that's the thing. We'll do all that. If I if I have my time again, yeah. that'll be it. Good awesome. question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Yuvi. Appreciate man. it. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.